Thank you, Stan, worship team, again for that song. I've, second time I heard it, I, and they keep asking me to show us Christ. Uh, I was at a shepherd's conference one year, and we, the men sung, show us Christ, and uh, John MacArthur came out to preach, and he's, he sounded, seemed like he just changed his message right there and then, and preached out of Isaiah 53. I'm not so gifted to do that, so I will not do that. We will look to the Psalm 119 this morning where I trust we'll still see Christ and the significance of Christ with regard to his word. Turn with me to the book Psalm 119. I want to welcome all of you who are here with me. I am, uh, I'm, I'm just, I see some of you are standing, so I just apologize for those of you that weren't able to find a seat. We're just uh, we're so joyful to have so many guests with us, especially a family and friends from the wedding that are here, the guests and friends from uh, out of town, uh, and just visiting with us. I met some people, too, and they're like, oh, they've been here once before, and they're back in town just visiting with us. What a joy to have the the members of the Universal Church of Jesus Christ gathered together with God's people to worship the Lord this morning. So glad to have you, and especially and all of those of you who are just uh, um, regular guests. Uh, I call you regular guests. You come here every once in a while. Glad to see you here as well, all of you. Uh, oh, so much. So enjoy. Such a joy to see our church family together. Uh, Miss seeing our church family together. So let's uh, look to Psalm 119 this morning as we continue, uh, well, continue my sort of intermittent series on the Word of God. That we find here in Psalm 119, verse 9 through 16. The word of God we read, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinance of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. As we come and open your book and we hear your words, we pray that you would speak to us through it. Father, may you... Not only use me to communicate the truths of your word, but, Father, may your spirit work in the hearts of your people today. Cause them to hear exactly that which you wish them to hear. Give them understanding of your word. Help them to understand and be convicted of its application for their lives so that we as a people might be conformed into the image of Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how you speak to us. You tell us and you reveal to us Jesus Christ in your word. You tell us how we might live in Christ through your word. And we thank you, Father, for the power in Christ to live out that word. Father, we know that all these things that even as we study is a continued act of worship because of Christ. And we pray that you would now work in us so that we would be drawn to a greater love for you, a love for your word, a love for our, your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In our Sunday school class this morning, or my Sunday school class that I taught this morning, I had the privilege to teach on the book of Leviticus. We've been serving the Old Testament law. And just if you've kind of ever thought about Leviticus, you've that's you're probably the rare exception. We don't tend to think much about this book, Leviticus. It's 
It's kind of buried there in between the, the books of Moses. We all get Genesis. That's the most exciting one. You know, that's all the, you get the numbers. There's good stories in there. Exodus is great deliverance. Uh, Deuteronomy is, you know, the entrance, preparation for some more stories, entrance into the land. But Leviticus, well, it's a lot of laws and commandments. And so we tend to kind of not be too familiar with it. But just to give you a context of this, of this book of Leviticus, it was written to a people who had just been freed from slavery in Egypt, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They, all they knew was Egypt. They, had, they were the chosen people of God. God had sent them there through, by means of Joseph, who, and jo- who brought his family there to preserve Israel, to make them from a, a family into a nation. Yet 400 years of slavery, they lived in the land. They, it was very likely after 400 years that they had forgotten much of who their God was, how he wanted them to worship him. And, and so God delivered them out of slavery and brought them to Mount Sinai in the Sinai Peninsula. And in this book of Leviticus, God instructs these Israelites basically who he, to, to tell them about who he is, to tell them about how they are to worship him, how they are to walk with their God. The main theme of the book of Leviticus is summarized by the command in Leviticus 19, verse 2, where God says, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God who is holy, who is holy, 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 as we'll look in Isaiah 6 in a few weeks, he commands and expects his own people to be holy as well. Of course, what Israel would soon discover is that, and what we will discover, we will discover in our own lives, is that even the chosen people of God are unable to live holy lives on their own. None of us can live holy lives as God is holy. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9, wise King Solomon wrote these words, Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from sin? The rhetorical question expects the answer of no one. No one can say. I have cleansed my heart. I have made myself clean from all my sins. No one can do that. We can't even, in our, in our sinfulness, we can't even help but sin. Solomon conveys for us with what we all know by common experience, don't we? That there is no one in this world who is without sin. The Bible teaches us that we are all born with a sinful nature, Jews and non-Jews alike. And we sin because of this sinful nature within us. Try as what we might, we are not able to not sin in our sin nature because we are all under the curse and the power of sin. But of course, we learn in the Bible that that is why Christ came. Jesus Christ came to set us free from sin. He came to die on the cross as a payment for our sins so that we would be, he, his death on the cross paid for the, our penalty of sin and he set us free from the power of sin. And one day he will, Remove the presence of sin in our lives. But that presence of sin is still here. As long as we live in this world, in this life, where this world is under the curse of sin, we still wrestle with sin and temptation. As those who have been forgiven of sin in Jesus Christ, and even though we understand that God calls us to live holy lives, Yet, it is a humbling calling because we recognize, we realize that except for the grace of God, we would continue in sin. We would 
give in to sin. We do give in to sin. It's why we need Christ, not just for salvation, but for our continued sanctification. We need Jesus Christ. And not only do we need Christ, but Christ himself has not only provided for us tools by which we might pursue holiness. One of those tools is the Holy Spirit that we'll look at. But another tool that he gives us so that we might pursue holiness is his word. And his and our passage this morning focuses on the power of the word of God to help us live holy lives. Now, as Christians, we know we aren't perfect. But our desire is to be holy. We are called to be his people. We're called saints, in fact, holy ones set apart for God. And we're set apart for God. We want to live our lives for God. We want to live lives that reflect in a manner worthy of Jesus Christ. If we are going to do this, live this kind of life that pleases him, that is holy, a pattern of holiness, then we need Christ, we need Christ's spirit, and we need Christ's word, God's word. Psalm 119 that we're going to look at this morning is, uh, as we've already looked at it one time before, is that it's the longest psalm in, in the Old Testament, or longest, longest chapter in the Old Testament, but it's also the longest psalm. It's in the form of an acrostic, sort of a, how we do across the ABC, using the alphabets and make a poem or, or a song out of it. But here, he uses, he has 22 stanzas. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each stanza begins with a single letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The first eight use the letter Aleph, kind of our equivalent to our A. And the second eight verses today, which we will look at, uses the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the Hebrew letter Bait, bait, and that's a, kind of like our, our B, our letter B. Mm, so, this morning, as we look at the stanza, as we look at particularly the stanza, I hope it will just encourage us as a people of God to once again renew our, our love and appreciation for the Word and appreciation for God who gives us His Word. That His Word is not just, it's not just like Leviticus, a set of, it's not meant to just be a, a set of commandments for us, but it's meant to be an instrument by which we might live lives pleasing to the Lord, to live the lives that we want to live for the Lord. In verse 9, just as a, this is the main theme of, the, of this stanza, it says, how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? This is uh, the main theme of the letter, of this stanza, I mean, the purifying power of God's word. I remember as a young man, uh, this verse really stood out to me because it addresses me. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? This was many years ago. And I was like, man, this is for me exactly. I need this verse. And I put this m- verse to memory. And I trust if you're a young man or were, uh, uh, this, you would also like find this verse encouraging to memorize. But I want to say that this verse is not only, is not meant to be just for young men. There's an illustration here by this term that this where this word young man is used. Young man could actually be a young, it could be a boy. Perhaps it's probably intended to mean a teenager, like we know teens. And any of you have ever been a young man, young teenager? Well, or, or if you knew one, well, you know that they are fine, upstanding men. No, you know the truth, right? That if you they were like me, we were like people you wouldn't want to hang out with. They were always the troublemakers, the living, the people who were always undisciplined, the rowdy, the rebellious, the oh, looking for some way to get into trouble, right, guys? <laughs> and some, and I know we all know that we've been there, men. 
We've been, we've, we lack knowledge. We lack wisdom. We lack discipline. It's, and I, I, it, the patient is to blame the hormones. And there is, there's some element of that. But really, it's our lack of, we don't know how to control our lives yet. We've not gained the wisdom to exercise self-control of our lives, to live as real men that God wants us to live like. This verse is, but since this verse tells young men how to keep their way pure, if it's sufficient for a young man who is in, our, in all, at least in our society, known to be the most uncontrollable group of, men, of people, then it's sufficient for every group of men, for young women, for older men, for older women as well. How can anyone keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word, God's word. Young men here, it says that we are, it refers to the, the way that we are to, to live. How can we keep our way pure? And this, in throughout Psalm 119, we'll find this word way or, or path mentioned many times. And it describes basically the way we live our life, the path of our life. Just like the, when you walk a path, that's kind of like how we live our life. Our life is kind of like a journey, the way that you walk, the way that you live. That, is, that describes us. That describes our life. What is your way? What is your path? Your manner of life. God desires our manner of life, our way to be pure. And I remember, I remember when I saw this repeat, I thought it was referred to sexual purity, and that's why I particularly memorized it back in the day. But it, this word actually refers to not just sexual purity, but moral purity. Purity in all its forms, in all its more, more, the various morals that God would have us obey. You want to be one who is holy, to be obedient to God's commands. That's a desire to be pure, to be clean, to be not unclean, but to be clean before the Lord. Well, then, if you want your way to be clean, you want to be the pattern of, of holiness, a pattern of cleanliness, a pattern of purity, then keep your life, keep your way according to God's word. In the rest of the stanza, the psalmist gives us various seven practical instructions on how a man or a woman can keep your way pure according to God's word. And as an outline for us, we're going to look at seven ways. Uh, There's very practical ways, I think. Seven ways that you can keep your way pure by means of the Word of God. You want to be holy? You want to live holy lives? Then you need the Word of God. But it's not just, you know, just holding one and having one is not going to make you holy. There's some practical things that we are to do with God's Word that would, that through the Spirit and through, because of the power of Christ in us, we may live by the grace of God holy lives. So let's look at these seven ways. Uh, well, since there are seven, it's going to be pretty quick and fast and furious unless I get caught up and start crying or something. All right, so if you, those are your guests, are like, oh, you didn't know, I'm the weeping prophet. Okay. All right, number one, number one. You can keep your way pure according to God's word by seeking God's word. Seek God's word. Verse 10 says, with all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. It's kind of interesting. As, uh, in, in, as we look at the verse 10, we see every time you look at a, any psalm, any poetry, you always want to look, is this a comparison? Is it a contrast? Is it a parallel? Is it, is it an f- expansion of it? Uh, and so this is one of those that is a contrasting parallel. The first line contrasts with the second line in parallel. The, we see there's an image of seeking in, ver- in the first line, and then there's an the image of wandering in the second line. In the first part, one is actively looking for something. In the second part, one is wandering away from something. The psalmist here says that with all his heart, with his whole being, he's putting his effort into seeking after the Lord. You, 
Notice, however, when he gets to the second part, he doesn't say, do not let me wander from you, right? He doesn't use the second person pronoun. He says, do not let me wander from your commandments. And what he's doing here is that he's making a parallel between God and his commandments. He's equating God with his word. God's word reveals God to us, just as God also reveals himself in his word. And this parallel kind of contrast or comparison with God and his commandments is the, is, exists here so that the psalmist tells us basically that if you want to seek after God, you will find him in his word. Seek God in his word. When you open up the Bible, you turn to Genesis 1-1, you find there it says, in the beginning, God. And if you just stop there, you already know several things about God. That God was in the beginning. That God, the God of this Bible, is the God of, that is true God. And then we're going to find out, if you continue verse 1, that he created all things. He made all things, including you and me. The book, from the first verse to the last verse of the Bible, reveals God to us. You don't need to look for him in the mountains or in the valleys or in looking at the oceans, though you can see his handiwork, no doubt. But you want to see him clearly. You seek him. You seek him in his word. God's commandments reveal his character and his will for our lives. It reminds me, uh, an illustration that reminds me of this is, is um, uh, my mother, uh, something from the, that I received from my mother. She went to be the Lord uh, some 10 plus years ago. And uh, I cannot go, of course, if I wanted to. I sometimes think about her. I miss her. And I can't go talk to her. I can't see her in person. Never. She's a believer, so she's in the heaven. I'll see her again. But in my possession are uh, letters that she wrote to me when I was in seminary. This is oh, way back, 20 years ago. And, off, uh, and there are times when, there have been times when I read those letters, and they remind me of who my mom was. They remind me, because uh, she writes in these letters various things, you know, she'll write to me basically, uh, well, some of the most important things were the recipes, you know, I'll tell you the truth. She gave me recipes about like, oh, how this is how you make this egg dish, it's how you make some, you know, uh, this is your favorite dish, your, uh, your bean curd dish, you know, um, treasures. <laughs> but along with those recipes, she'll write things like, uh, she loved me, she was praying for me, uh, she'd often wish me to eat well, study hard. Love God. This is back in seminary. Reading those letters often inspire me, even as I reflect upon them, to live in a way that honors her, to to eat better, (laughs) study harder, and love God. That's just my mom's letter. How much more should God's word do the same in our lives? God's word is a letter from God to you and me. And it's a love letter. He tells us that he loves us in his, in his word. He tells us all sorts of promises for us, desires for us. He gives us instructions, not so that we would be, that we would be kept down, but they're instructions for our good. They're instructions that if we follow, we will find blessing. We'll find that, yes, these are for, so that we would know life and know it abundantly. And so, when we seek God in his word, we will come to understand, we'll love his word more, and we'll, it'll motivate us to want to live according to that word. And it's how God uses to help us to become, uh, to, 
to have our ways reflect the purity that God desires of us. Let us be people who seek him regularly. Let's seek to know him, to understand how he wants us to live. Secondly, we move on, verse 11. You can keep your way pure by treasuring God's word, treasuring God's word. Verse 11 says, your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Uh, this is one of those verses that I, I made sure I memorized because it says, it says that right here, just treasuring of God's word and you will not sin. This verse, I'll, when we look at the, the relationship between the first part and the second part, the second part expands on the first. It expands on the first. The psalmist first in the first part explains that he has treasured God's word in his heart. That he's basically this word verb means that this verb treasure means to hide or to store up something, you know, to put it away for a later purpose, for another, for a purpose that was served later on. And that is, and what is that purpose is explained by the second line, that I may not sin against you. The psalmist stores up, hides, treasures, or we might simply say memorize God's word in his heart for the purpose that he would not sin against God. How does this work out? There's no greater example of this than in our Savior's life. When he was tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, we see that three times Satan came to Jesus. After 40 days of of, of fasting and, and prayer in the wilderness, Satan came to Jesus and he offered Jesus three temptations. First of all, Satan told him, he says, you're hungry. Hey, Turn these stones to bread. Show us that you're God. Show us that you can do it. Turn these stones to bread. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Secondly, Satan came again. And he brought him to, brought Jesus to the, the height of the temple. And he challenged Jesus, well, throw yourself down. And then Satan cleverly said, cleverly quoted some Bible verses. He says, the Bible says the angels will lift you up. They're going to protect you. So throw yourself down and bring glory to God. You know, he's really tempting him to break God's command. But what did Jesus say to that? Jesus said, it is written, you should not put your God, Lord, the Lord God to the test. Thirdly, Satan came again and offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world all that one's man, sinful mankind might want, desire. He says, I will give you all these things if you simply bow down and worship me now. And Jesus said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Three times Satan came and tempted him. Three times Jesus responded. He said, it is written. It is written. And he quoted it from memory. He didn't say, Satan, hold on a second. Let me look in the Torah. Um, oh, yeah, this verse applies. Yes. No, he memorized the word of God, right? So that he would not, when the time came and he was tempted, well, Jesus, of course, being God, understood the, law, the word of God better than we do. But he set us an example that when in, tempt, in the face of temptation, that because he, he has the store of the word of God, it, was, it came out to protect him and, and, and guard him from temptation. In the same way, we ought to attempt to be treasuring God's word in our hearts. And many times, we all face temptation. Is there a temptation that you find you wrestle with, you struggle with, you tend to give into? Then find a treasure of God's word and store it in your heart. 
And I will tell you why that's going to be so valuable because when in the time of temptation, it will, that verse should come out. It should come to mind. And you'll say, oh, God does not want me to be t- to give in to this sin because he wants me to be holy as he is holy. So in those times, instead of choosing our ways and following our ways, God's word will come into our minds. And, you, and, you know, you want to make a good practice, you say, it is written, you know. And you can even say, or, thus says the Lord, say it to yourself, you know. And that has power because God's, you remember that this is what God desires in my life. And, it will, and there will be times that it will be very effective. And with the Spirit of God, it will be effective to protect you from temptation. So are you, but that's not going to happen until you're memorizing God's word, treasuring God's word. You say, wait, hold up, Pastor Henry. You know, you know me. I, I have a terrible memory. Well, I'm not telling you to re- memorize the whole Bible. I'm just asking you when you're tempted by sin, if you're wrestling with particular sins, particularly, memorize those scriptures. If you only memorize one scripture, memorize Psalm 119, verse 911. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? That's, that's, that, uh, that verse came to my mind so many times when I sinned, uh, when I was tempted to sin. I said, oh, man, I want to be a man who keeps my life according to your word, Lord. I don't want to sin. Memorize God's word will protect you from falling into temptation and sin. Thirdly, thirdly, you can keep your way pure by learning God's word. Learning God's word. Verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. And what happens here is the psalmist has been reflecting upon uh, basically how the word of God protects him from temptation and sin. He knows that if he treasures God's word, it guards him from sinning against God. And so he he blesses the Lord. He says, blessed are you, O Lord. He worships God. It's very significant here that he connects uh, from an exegetical standpoint that he connects here the second person pronoun, you, with O Lord. Up to this time in this psalm, Psalm 119, verse 1 through 11, God, uh, the psalmist has been using the pronoun you, but we have not been, it has not been clear who you refers to until this point right here in verse 12. And so this verse kind of gives us a clue that the rest, everything, all the other second person pronouns, you, in this psalm, refer to the Lord God. It's his word that's being referred to. It's his statutes, his commandments, his, uh, his uh, word. The psalmist worships God, breaks out into the praise of God because he knows God's word. He understands the value of God's word. The more we know of God through his word, the more we want to worship him, right? The more we know of God, the more we want to know more of him. And that's true of the psalmist here. As his worship leads then to a prayer request. He knows, he blesses the Lord, and then he cries out and says, teach me your statutes. Teach me your word. The psalmist is basically reiterating, Lord, I know that memorizing the scriptures is going to be helpful for me and so that I would not sin against you. Your word is given to us so that we would not sin against you. Oh, Lord, help me. Teach me your word because I know that on my own I'm unable to learn. He'll repeat, the psalmist will repeat this request, teach me your statutes, seven more times in the psalm. It's a repeating, repeated theme, and it's a reminder for all of us that ultimately God teaches us his word it's not we are not going to learn god's word in a sense in our own efforts though we must study the word but god is the one who will teach us we can read it we can memorize it we can understand we can but we cannot understand it apart from the lord we need him to teach us and he does so through his holy spirit 
Jesus, I remember earlier I mentioned that Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit so that we might understand his word. In John 14, 26, Jesus said to his disciples that he would send them the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring them in your remembrance, all that I said to you. See, the Holy Spirit's job is when he comes and dwells with us, with us is to teach us all things. He teaches us God's word, Christ's words, and he'll be the one who brings it to remembrance. So many times we learn God's word, but then we forget it. We need the Holy Spirit to help us to remember it as well. The scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day were students of the scriptures, much like many of us were students of the scriptures here at this Bible church. They memorized the scripture. They studied the scripture. They read the scripture. And they taught the scripture. Yet, they completely missed the scriptures when Jesus came. We can, be, we can fall into the same danger. We who memorize it, study it, teach it even like myself. Let's guard ourselves from, not, from making the mistake of just studying but not learning. Learning. We must be people who don't just study God's word, but people who actually learn God's word, and not just what it means, but how we live in our how we live it in our lives. Remember the Great Commission: Go therefore and make disciples. Right, and that disciples really is a word that means learner, a student. We are to be all to be learners and students of Christ, and that involves teaching someone who. Else, as a learner or a student of Christ, someone must teach us. And people will teach us the word of God. But it's not complete just to be taught the word of God. Jesus actually says in that great commandment, teach them to keep my commandments, all that I command you. We are to be taught how to live God's word. So really, if we're going to learn God's word, it's not enough just to know it and understand it. But we are to keep it, obey it. That's when we truly learn God's word. We've learned Christ's words. That's a true disciple, one who learns about God, Christ, what Christ desires of us, and lives it, keeps it. It's so easy for us to come here on Sunday mornings, because I know I used to, when my pastor would preach on Sunday mornings, and I would come as a college student, and I'm like, oh yeah, I feel good, I feel warm, all tingly, tingly, because I'm, I'm getting the preaching the word, and then I'd go out and I wouldn't live it. I'd go live my party life and, you know, throughout the week, worship the idol of education and uh, all sorts of things. And then I'd go to church again Sunday to get that feel again. And I don't know, none, you guys aren't like You're not like that, right? You don't know, not at all. You come here because you want to hear the word of God. Most of you, I trust, want to hear the word of God, but you don't want to just have your ears tickled. You want to live out God's word, right? You want to live. You want to be followers of Christ, learners of God, students of Christ, images of Christ. So learn God's word. Make sure we apply it to our lives. Fourthly, you can keep your way pure by telling God's word. By telling God's word. The psalmist writes, With my lips I have told of all the ordinance of your mouth. The psalmist reveals that whatever he's learned of God, God's word, he has told it to others. He didn't withhold, and notice he didn't withhold any of it. He told of all the ordinances of your mouth. He tells it all. He's not afraid to tell it all. You know, the word of God has so many things in this world that I think for many of us, we would be ashamed to tell of people about. You know, we're eager. It's, it's already hard and challenging enough just to simply tell the gospel sometimes. But, you know, in our city, for instance, are you willing to, would, you be, would you dare to say, you know, the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin, among other sins. That's, PC, that's not PC, right? You know, many of you probably would lose your jobs if you said that at work. I, would, I know you would because I read about it in the news. 
But that's, you know, so you use wisdom. Be wise, uh, you know, be wise. Okay, like wise. Okay, like serpents, right? Be wise. But there are other things in the Word of God, you know, that we might be unwilling to talk about, like the judgment against sin, for instance. Maybe we don't want to talk about sin. But the psalmist says, I'm going to tell of all the ordinances of your, youth, of, of your mouth. And why is he willing to tell all of it? Because he recognizes this is not just man's word. It's not just his word. Yes, he uses his lips to say it. But he says, I tell with my lips, I tell of all the ordinances of your mouth. This, your ordinances come from your mouth, O oh God. These are the words of God. The psalmist is recognizing basically the principle from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, right? That all scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. It comes from God's mouth. Yes, God uses men to write the word of God, but this is, they are men who are under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, men directed by God to write God's very words spoken to us. This book is not just our words, not just man's words. It is God's word. And that's why we can, we can know. That's why we must tell it to others. Telling others of God's word is basically a reflection of how much we understand and believe God's word for ourselves. And when was the last thing you recommended anything to someone? You guys probably do that all the time, right? Someone says, uh, hey, I'm in the city. Uh, where's a good place to eat? Well, and then you're like, oh, man, you, you got to go here. Go eat DNA Cafe on 6th and Clement. No, no, don't go there. Okay. Uh, uh, Go to, you know, I don't know. I'm not a connoisseur. You ask the foodies here. They would know or recommend, you know, a book. Oh, I read this great book. Uh, I, rec- I want to recommend this, this, new, this uh, new website, the new blog I read. You recommend, oh, this got to try this new face lotion. This one doing wonders for my face. You know, whatever. So we recommend things all the time, uh, just very naturally. Uh, that's why we, we look to Yelp. People already have a Yelp account by now. You, you know, you recommend stuff. I recommend stuff on that thing. I think, uh, don't go look it up. No. <laughs> But now, first, and we understand that when you recommend it, it means two things. You probably you tried it for yourself, and you found it wonderful, right? You wouldn't recommend it if you hadn't tried it. That would make no sense. Well, if you're going to try it, why you recommend it to me? That makes no sense. If you didn't find it wonderful, well, I, I ate at this restaurant. It was terrible, but once you go there. No, you wouldn't say that either, right? We recommend something because we tried it, we've experienced it, and we found it wonderful. It was great. In the same way for the word of God. Same way why we tell others about the word of God, or the ways of God. Because we've tried it, we've experienced it, we've been taking it, and we found it to be wonderful. We found it to be the most precious, most life-changing uh, thing that we found in this world. That's God's word. Have you experienced it? Have you experienced the wonder of God's word? The wonder of transforming, transformation through the faith in Jesus Christ? Man, this is where you all say amen. Okay? And if it's hard to say that here, I guarantee it'd be hard to say it out there, right? That's 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 what it is. That's what's up. I mean, I, and I, I understand. Telling others is, but when we and if you believe it, if you experience it, if you taste the kindness of God, then you're going to want to tell it. And telling it also, it's just an affirmation that this is something that you own. You've come to believe. You want you you have experienced this as that is true. That God's word. And telling others doesn't have to be formal. You don't have to sit down and form a Bible study with someone. It can be simply as simple as telling someone what you read this week. It's telling you someone that something that reminded you of God's truths. We just need to be like the man that was born blind in John 9. John 9, man, the month he was healed of blindness by Jesus. He was not a scholar. He did not know the whole law or the Torah. He didn't know much. 
when the, when the scribes and Pharisees came down on him, said, tell, give, tell us who this man is. He said, well, you know, I don't know much. All I know, I was born blind, and now I see, and it was because of Jesus. And he told, he gave testimony. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to tell people. Just tell others what, so we come to understand the truths of God's word, tell it to others. And that will be, in the process, it will help affirm God's, the truths for yourself. It will help to, you to reinforce those, God, those words for your own life. I guarantee you as a teacher, when I teach others, <laughs> I feel it. And I feel my, the, the challenge of God's word in my own life. And then I say, oh, Lord, have mercy because I'm just a sinner telling other sinners how to follow Christ. And that this, is, this, is a, this book is a, is, a weighty, so, is a weighty thing. And, it, it, and you tell it to others, it, you can't help but feel the, the conviction of the word in your own life and how you need to follow God. Anyways, fifthly, fifthly, we've, the psalmist tells us that you can keep your way pure by valuing God's word. In verse, verse 14, the psalmist writes, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. I rejoiced in, your tes- in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Note here, he says he rejoices in the way of your testimonies. He doesn't say, I rejoice in God's testimonies. That's sort of what I expected. I would expect him to say, I rejoiced in the word of God, essentially. I rejoice in the Bible. But he says, I rejoiced in the way of your testimonies. And it's not that he doesn't rejoice in God's word, but he specifically, he's saying something very particular here. He rejoices in the word of God because he rejoices in the way of life, the way of life that he is taught in God's word. That this book is not just a set of commandments, a set of instructions that we need to follow, but it teaches us a way of life. It teaches us about life. God just, it doesn't tell us just a bunch of facts or historical stories. It's about life. How to have life. How to live life. And how to live it abundantly. How to live here and now as well as how to live in life to come. I mean, you and I, and people in the world today, we're, people are looking for instructions, aren't we? You're looking for instructions. There is a huge industry giving instructions to people. You want to learn how to date? You go buy a dating book. You want to learn how to get married? You go get a marriage book. You want to be a parent? Go get a parenting book. You need help? Get a self-help book. You want to go on a diet? Get a dieting book. And in the day of the internet, just go to the internet and Google it, right? We just find all sorts of information. There's no lack of information, no lack of industry telling us how we can live our lives. And I know, and I trust some of you have, we bought those books. We bought those books on how to live the Christian life, how to pray, how to date, how to love your wife, love your husband, how to be a better parent. We bought them up. We eat them up. We check out the videos. We watch the, go to the websites, read the blogs, all telling us how to live. People are willing to spend money to learn how to live, right? The Bible is the only book you'll ever need to live the kind of life that God desires for you. It's the only book you need. Now, the other books you can buy, they won't harm you. There are going to be Christian books out there that may be a blessing. They'll elaborate on God's word. But the Bible is the only book you'll ever need. It's the only book you'll need to live the kind of life that God desires for you to live. This book, what's more, is free. Okay, I know publishers charge five to seventy bucks, hundred bucks for that. And you put a little slap, a little leather on there, make a big print for us, big margins, so we can write in the margins, whole mess of notes on the bottom to tell us what to believe and what to, you know, interpret, interpret the scriptures. I get that. 
but it's free. God gave it to us freely. You know, we need a Bible. You don't have a Bible? Come and talk to me. We'll give you a Bible. Free. But to tell you the truth, that five, 70 bucks that you pay or 100 bucks you pay for your Bible is cheap compared to what you get from the Word of God. It tells us the words of life. And that's the, uh, the scripture, the, um, first, our scripture reading in the morning in our, in our prayer. In it, we learn, we learn that we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. The secret to that through Christ. This book is precious. It is a great treasure. The psalmist rejoices because he has learned the value of God's word and how for his life. It tells him how to live, gives him principles by which he lives. If he follows, he will be that blessed man. Such that and he rejoices over the, the ways of the word of God such that he rejoices over more than all riches. Now, I know we, you know we tend to, we are people, so we all rejoice in riches. Okay? There's nothing necessarily wrong with rejoicing in riches as long as you don't rejoice in them more than you rejoice in God. You know, when we get, you know, those of you who like technology, rejoice when you get that new laptop and that new smartphone. For those of you who like fashion, you rejoice when you get that new clothing item, a new pair of shoes or a new accessory, a purse, a watch. For those of you who like money, you rejoice when you get more money. We rejoice because we value these things, right? They're, they're, they're of some value to us. How much more valuable is God's word? Psalm 119, verse 162, later on the psalmist will write, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. I love that term. I mean, that's too bad people aren't just burying treasures around so we can find them like great spoil, right? That's what they would do. People would hide their treasure off in the ground. You might come across it like the, the, by the parable, the great pearl, the great, the pearl, the great treasure that's hidden. People would just kind of come in and they would find that treasure and they would be like, oh, I got to buy this land because there's a spoil I discovered, you know? Oh, it's like, say, you found a you know, $20 bill spying in the street. You go, oh, I rejoice over that. Well, I think so. We should rejoice even more for God's word because it's more valuable than all riches. Do you value this book? Do you value God's word? Do you understand that it contains the words of life? Tre- and that's why you would treasure it. This book reveals how we can receive everything pertaining to life and godliness. And when we value it rightly, we'll desire to follow it. Because we, it's not just about obeying God. It, we should obey God. But there's a, very, there's a value to, it, our, to our lives. That we'll know life and know it abundantly. We'll know life eternal. This book is a good book from God for us to live. Sixthly, there's a, the, we can, you can keep your way pure by meditating on God's word. Meditating on God's word. Verse 15, the psalmist writes, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. This psalmist expresses his desire to meditate on God's word. The basic idea, idea of meditation is to basically go over a matter in one's mind. It's a silent reflection on God's word. Thinking about over, kind of regularly, over and over, the meaning of God's word and our response to God's word. Here particularly, the psalmist meditates on God's on God's word, but God's ways that are revealed within. That's why latter half, and regard your ways. He meditates on God's word and the ways, the way of life that God reveals in his, in this book that he wants us to live. You see, in meditation, 
we don't do it enough, and in particular in our world, we are, what we're doing is we're actually disciplining our mind. The, psalm, the Psalms, uh, oftentimes in the scriptures, when meditation is spoken of, it's talked about meditating on it day and night. That's throughout our days, regularly, kind of, throughout our days. And, you know, you could take literally day and night, but it really means throughout the day, throughout the day. We're regularly meditating on God's, we're thinking about God's word. And when we do that, we're actually practicing the discipline of meditating on God's word. We're, in a sense, training our minds to think about God's word. Why is this important? In our Fundamentals of the Faith class, which we have, we offer here every other quarter or so, there's an illustration about, uh, if you, from, we have some great people here today, you ever take the FOF class and you get the FOF book and you, you know that there's, there's the, the Bible, how to study the Bible, how to know the Bible. And there's this illustration that's represented by the hand. Anybody know it? No? Okay. Five ways that you can learn the Bible, know the Bible. You can read the Bible. You can study the Bible. You can hear the Bible. You can memorize the Bible. Okay? Memorize. These are four ways that you can know God's word better by doing those four things. You get a better grasp of the word. But this fifth one is represented by the thumb is meditating on God's word. Meditating upon it. Thinking about what you read, what you study, what you hear, what you memorize. Thinking about what it means. Thinking about how it applies in the different circumstances of life. And this is really cool because I, I thought it was the neatest thing when I first saw it. And of course our Bibles have gotten a lot thinner. But it used to be thicker. You would, I would use this. I would say, if you want a good grasp of your Bible, you need all four fingers. All five fingers. But you especially need the thumb. Okay, I'm not that weird. Okay, I got, you need the thumb, right? You need, you want to get a good grasp of the Bible? Have, meditate on the word. Be sure you meditate. It's the most important. And that's in the same way, right, for us. If we want to get a grasp of the Bible, you need to meditate as you read the word, study the word, hear the word, memorize the word. Don't forget to meditate on it. Make God's thoughts your thoughts. Fill, them, fill his thought, your mind with his thoughts. In our fast-paced world, of course, meditation is not something that comes easy to us. We, we probably don't think about many things beyond a minute. That's probably too long. 30 seconds. No, 15 seconds? Yeah, that's about right. Five seconds, maybe. We are too used to instant information and processing. We are impatient for quick growth, for quick transformation. We, we want things to happen like that. We want to be changed like that. But to tell you the truth, a transformation into the image of Christ is something that will not come apart from a change of our mind. According to Romans 12, 2, you'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of our mind is not going to happen like that, sadly. It happens as we meditate upon God's word. It's not going to be something magical, but it requires, as we dependence upon God and the Holy Spirit, meditate upon God's word. Let your mind learn to think Bible. Think the truths of God's word. By thinking about it regularly, how it applies to this situation, that situation. Challenge you to think about a situation. We wonder, where does the Bible speak to this situation? When you're playing your video games. When does the Bible speak to this? Yeah. How about uh, fruit of the spirit of self-control? Yeah. Right there. Oh, yeah. That's got a lot. There you go. It applies. Think about how it applies as you're gardening. Oh, this is God's creation. Oh, okay. You know, and so on and so forth. God's word has everything to say about everything we do. Let's take time to meditate upon God's word and learn to think in God's word so that then we will, when your mind is renewed, it affects how we live. We'll experience the transformation, the purity, the, the holiness that God desires of our lives.
by the grace of God. Seventh and last, we can keep our way pure by delighting in God's word. Delighting God's word. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word, the psalmist writes. Now, I've, I debated upon what to title this one. This could also be titled by remembering God's word. Both ideas are mentioned here by delighting in God's word and by remembering God's word. But they're connected. One leads into the other. The psalmist delights and takes such pleasure in God's word that he does not forget God's word. He'll always remember God's word. And when you remember God's word, that's helpful because that's like treasuring God's word in your heart so that you might not sin against him. Yesterday, I had the great privilege of attending a wedding. And if many, some of you were there at the wedding, and I trust you were blessed. And for the bride and groom, I, I believe it was probably a day of great delight for them. They probably thought it was joyful. I didn't get to ask them, was this a great day for you? Uh, it probably was. And for all of us, if you think back to your wedding day, it was probably a day of great delight, most likely. And I'm sure if you can ask, uh, you can ask this, that couple, if you know who they are, uh, ask any newlywed couple, ask them a week, maybe from now, or a month, or even a year from now, what they remember about the day. And I know that they're going to be able to tell you about various elements of their day. They're going to be able to tell you about the weather. They remember the, the feelings they had that day when they first saw each other and the door was open. They remember the ceremony, the music, the scripture reading, the beautiful uh, vows that were given. They remember that awesome sermon that the pastor preached. <laughs> no, I'll tell you the truth, I don't remember that. I don't think you'll remember that. But the, because, and, and you know, there'll be things that you'll forget, it's true. But the delight of that day, the delight of everything, that you found it such a joy, you can't help but remember those things. And you just, just ask yourself right now, what happened a year ago for you? I don't know. Unless it was some day that you delighted in, uh, last year, October 18th, 2014, it doesn't ring a bell for most of us. I have no idea. But you ask about the day of your delight, you will remember all sorts of things. They just come right out. And that's the way that it should be with the Word of God. When we delight God's, when we delight in something, it will, we'll remember it. This same principle is at work. When you delight in God's word, you'll remember God's word. You'll not forget God's word. And that helps in the pursuit of purity. But of course, the difficult thing is, it's hard to just turn on delighting in God's word, isn't it? It's like me, you know, telling me to right now say, hey, delight in black mushrooms. No, that's gross. I hate that stuff. It makes me, ugh. you know, my wife will say, oh, delicious. She loves those things. Praise God. You know, uh, She loves black mushrooms. I, I can't stand them. You can't just like instantly turn on delight for God's word either if you've never acquired a taste for it. You've never experienced it. It's not like most of us, when we look at the Bible, isn't that just an old book? Remember the first time you saw a Bible? Remember what you thought about it? And you say, oh, I'm delighting in this. No. You have to acquire a taste for it, right? It will not acquire a taste for the word of God to know that it's good and good for you unless you feed yourself regularly on God's word. Like a taste for certain foods, like a, the, the love for an exercise regimen, like the love for a discipline in your life, all takes time to develop. So you must regularly be in God's word. Apply some of these six other things if God, that we can practically apply with, with, with regards to God's word so that you will learn to delight in it. No, not just learn. You will delight in it. If you're his people and you're in God's word, you will delight in this word. 
As you seek it, treasure it, learn it, tell it, value it, and meditate on it. And if you belong to Christ, his word will just, will manifest in continually purifying your life. You'll be better for it. You'll appreciate the wisdom of his word that enables you to live according to it. But that's if you're living according to it. If you're not, then it will not bring that delight. But if you live according to God's word, if you keep your way according to God's word, you will come to that place where you will delight in his word. And you will not forget his word. And that will be part of the process by which God helps you to pursue a purity pleasing to him, a holiness that he desires of your life by the grace of God. As we conclude, Jesus, I want to conclude with Jesus' words. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. Though ultimately we cannot be pure, we cannot be holy apart from Christ. Jesus Christ paid it all. He paid the penalty for our sin. He set us free from the power of sin so that we are now able to obey him. One day, he will remove from us the presence of sin. In this time being, we wrestle with the temptations to sin and the desire that God is producing in us to live in obedience as well. And I want to point to you, Jesus understood this. And then the night before he left his disciples, he prayed for his disciples in this high priestly prayer of John 17. And Jesus on that day prayed for his disciples to the Father on behalf of his disciples. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus understood that the sanctification that would take place in their life would come after he leaves. That God the Father would then sanctify his disciples in the truth of God's word through the power of the Holy Spirit. He asked God to sanctify them in his word. Jesus understood this principle and the psalmist basically teaches the same principle. That God's word, when we, are, when we live our lives according to it, it will help us to keep our way pure. So let us be people of the word. Let us be men and women of the word. Let us be regularly in it. Let's apply some of these practical applications of it to our lives so that we may walk in holiness that reflects Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Again, thank you for these instructions to us, wisdom for us so that we might learn how to live and walk in a way that's pleasing to you. But not just pleasing to you, but Father, it's good for us. Good for us. Lord, we thank you that you give us your words of life so we might know eternal life, forgiveness of sins, righteousness that is ours because of Christ. But we also thank you that in this life you give us a plethora of instructions of how we might live in the world as we're witnesses to be husbands and wives, to be sons and daughters, to be fathers and mothers, to be workers and to be bosses, to be witnesses be disciple makers and disciples. Lord, we thank you for all these instructions and more. And Father, help us to learn to treasure your word, to value it, to store it up in our lives so that we might not sin against you. Father, we can readily confess that in our sin nature, we still at times are given towards temptation. But Father, we know, we thank you that, you, that you've given us your spirit, You've given us the power in Christ and you give us your word so that we 
who walk according to your word might experience the pure purity of, in life that you desire of us. Not only for our good, but for your glory. Lord, help us to be a holy people who live out holy lives because of your word in us. Not only the written word, but the living word, Jesus Christ. This we pray in his name. Amen.